You know, I really like that chapter. I mean, I, I think that chapter is so interesting, and there's so much going on there. But uh, and, and I've never been too enamored of the schizophrenic. Um, I don't want to say metaphorics, but metaphorics in anti Oedipus and whatnot. And you know, they, it just it just seems to me like it causes way more trouble um, than it's worth in terms of the history of the reception of the stuff because you have to have that same conversation all the time where, you know, like we're not talking about the disease of schizophrenia or nor trying to romanticize it, which is often the accusation, you know. But, but, but this one I liked. I mean, especially because it was just like, well, frankly, there are two kinds of nonsense, right? Like, I mean, the, the simplest yeah. way of saying it is like, not all nonsense is equally interesting nonsense, <laughs> you know? So that, I mean, I, I loved reading the, the Artaud stuff on Carol is hilarious. Like, <laughs> I think I laughed out loud about that. He just sounds like a priggish little, whatever the quote was. And I was like, yeah, he does. That actually gives it, that actually describes quite well my experience in reading Alice in Wonderland a few weeks ago of like, yeah, this just sounds like a stuffy little shit shithead. <laughs> there know? are in Jabberwocky passages of fecality, but it is the fecality of an English <laughs> snob who curls yeah. the obscene within <laughs> himself like ringlets of hair around a curling iron. That, that was it. It was the, like ringlets of hair. That was to me, I was like, that's ingenious, oh. right? That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, my little fecal matter. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, that is, that is how it feels. And it's, I mean, I don't know, as a kid, I never liked Alice in Wonderland. Like, I never liked it. It never appealed to me as a kid. So the, mm -hmm. the sort of sheer kid perspective. And it always seemed, like, kind of standoffishly creepy to me, right? Like, it, oh, as a kid, I'm just saying, my perspective as a young child, when exposed to Alice in Wonderland, I just always had this bad vibe. Uh, and, you know, you get it. You can't not get exposed to it, right? So, I mean, I, and I don't remember the specific circumstances because I was young. But I always just was like, ew. Ew was always my reaction to it. I enjoyed it more rereading it, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever. Like that was, it was like there's more interesting here. But I still had that, I still had that vibe, right? And and I was like, Arto captures it, <laughs> which is maybe a problem for me when Arto captures a sense that I'm after. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there are two kinds of nonsense so much. I mean, can we talk about them in terms of like a breaking point of intensities of nonsense, right? That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I, I mean, because it seems like, you know, especially in the language of Artaud, is to th think about being as pure nonsense. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I think of... of you know, like the Apollonian dimension in, in Nietzsche's writing of, of like, look, the schizophrenic is the one that's able to contend with the, the mass, the Dionistic mass of being, and it is terrifying. And it's only through sort of right. like the dream-like spacing or the interjection of a certain kind of controlled nonsense that creates a livable world. And yeah. so like, right. we're the dreamers, schizophrenics woke up and found themselves clinging to the back of that tiger. Right, because it's yeah. scary as fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I went into reading this chapter being wicked excited because I was like, oh, this is where we're going to figure out that there is, like, kind of a bad nonsense. <laughs> like, there is kind of a nonsense that is too, too nonsensical, right? Um, but actually, I think I learned more about sense and the fragility of the surface than I did about some other yeah, kind of nonsense. Right. 
Well, the first right. line, nothing is more fragile than the surface. Right. And, and it's specifically because I think of, of the addition of, of just everything that bodies can do in that encounter, right? Like all of the, all of the depth of bodies, you know, that's going to potentially be kind of destructive and violent. It's also, I mean, I mean let, let me just say this. I mean, I, I think one of the things that did strike me when I read this was like, this is a sort of paradigm case for what Deleuze does when he reads, right? Like in, in the sense of a diagnostics, right? Like the, you know, you think of the, the title of the collection, which I think is a great title. And Dan Smith has a fantastic essay at the beginning of it, but essays critical and clinical, you know, and clinical in the sense of he does he sees literary authors as diagnosing ways of being in the world, right? And, and that's what he's really doing here. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because there was a point at which when, when, when he goes to the Artaud, and obviously knowing something about how much, how much interest he has in Artaud, right? Like the, that Artaud is in many ways a kind of heroic figure for schizoanalysis in, in anti-Oedipus for sure. And throughout throughout the work. So I kind of anticipated that he was going to like beat up on Lewis Carroll as a result. Like now is the part of the book, like Lewis Carroll got us into nonsense, but Artaud is going to take us home. Right. And he didn't do that. Right. Like it just became, it became instead just a diagnosis of a differential mm -hmm. relation to it. And I, and, and I was really, I was quite, I mean, I was pleased by that, but I was also like intrigued by it because, you know, it's that moment where you're like, he could have, uh, made and I had thought he was going to make a certain kind of move, and he didn't make it. And instead, it was just okay. Uh, so Arto is himself doing a diagnosis, and what can we learn? What can we diagnose from Arto's attempt at diagnosing Carol about Arto? And it really is this kind of like I don't know. I mean, it just it returns me at the the larger point to that style question. It's just like just different ways of living, <coughs> right? And what do they indicate? Like what are what are the components of them to the point where you know, like, how they break up words, right? Like, I mean, there's there's a whole page in there of, like, pretty meticulous um, analysis that, I mean, I frankly, I don't know if I could benefit from slowly reading that because it's just like, okay, this is a very idiosyncratic Deleuzian um, approach to this. I don't really get what he's saying at all of those, at, at most of the points, you know, but I do get what he's doing which he's saying how you explode words, right, or, or fuck with words, right, let's just say how you experiment with words matters, right, and it, and it indicates different relationships so that Carol's is a relationship to meaning, whereas, you know, Artaud's is a relationship to language, right, and those are different components of the language, of the language game. And I, I just really, I, I just found this like, man, this is a really great example of I just I wish like literary critics would read things like this I, I would just be really curious like a good literary critic right like what would they think of the way that Deleuze reads this not not his conclusions I don't care about that but like the way of engaging the question of Artaud's writing and Carroll's writing you know I don't know well I, mean, I think describing 
uh, this sort of diagnostic in terms of a, a differential relationship as opposed to like just sort of like a taxonomical survey of the field, which is to say it's not just like, hey, here's Carol's yeah. way of diagnosing a mode of being, here's our toes, and here are the differences, i.e. like, yeah. I mean, where differences reduce to the same. It's yeah. what, what's, identities. yeah, to identities. What's interesting here is how important uh, our toes diagnosis of of um, uh, Carol is because of the way that um, the entire like Carol's entire apparatus sort of slides into our toes and then affects that Artoian body, you know, and it's not just through the sort yeah. of like disgust that he has for Carol as the, the, the producer of these texts. But I mean, you can also see a whole lot of evidence of the way that Carol's system sort of like affects Artaud uh, uh, sensually, I mean, like it, it seems painful, right? It seems, sure. You know, sure. you can imagine that yeah. that you know this thing that Carol crafts to ostensibly do one kind of thing slides into this Artodian machine and becomes incredibly violent as it operates at the level of of you know it suddenly creates these chasms at the level of the surface and now creates these violent, painful rifts of like rifts. And, and that's, I mean, that's another thing that's cool is like, it doesn't rely, it doesn't simply stay at the general level that you began with there of saying, mm-hmm. our toe and Carol are different, right? Like, like, or even our toe thinks Carol sucks, right? Like, I mean, it's like, okay. I mean, that, that to me is always the more interesting question. Why does our toe, what's going on that our toe has this response as opposed to just that he has the response and that we agree with Arto or we don't agree with Arto or, or we defend Carol. Or, in other words, this is where, to me, argumentation, as we generally conceive of it, is so boring, right? Like, it, because it always stays in that terrain. And that's where the, that kind of diagnostic um, or, I mean, I would call it experimental diagnostic work is so much more interesting and so much more after the sort of what's it, what it's after is is the singularity like what the fuck is going on here like what's going on that that's you know these two people that i have admiration for one reads the other and experiences physical pain or at least writes that he experiences physical pain what's happening there that physical pain is not just a more extravagant expression of dislike you know so like like let's take him seriously when he says these things, you know, and, and I just, I love the kind of, at least to me, there's such a care, uh, in, involved. And I just don't read that. And I, I, I would say, you know, I, I mentioned a moment ago, the sort of literary criticism example, but the little bit that I've toured through rhetorical criticism, it's just absolutely obtuse on that. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't ever, you know, to me, rhetorical criticism is always in the service of an argument, or at least the stuff that I've read, right, like is always in the service of an argumentative point. So it never gets into what I'm calling that sort of care, caring, attentiveness of like, what's what's going on here that this person reads this way or, or responds this way, you know? Well, I mean, argumentation tends to prefigure the argument and then focuses most of its concentration on like sub- substantiating and supporting that argument or tearing it down. But it always That's sort right. of presents the argument right. itself as an identity or a content that is predefined and is always just more or less correct or stronger or weaker. 
Yeah. There's so much more vulnerability in the diagnostic or uh, curiosity. I mean, this is where, you know, this is one of the questions. I mean, it, you know, we can bring it to the level of DOXA, but this is one of the things that interested me in terms of, like, Caddy's project when, when I met you, whatever, a few years ago or whatever, and I was, you know, like, um, how do you not make an argument for or against DOXA? And I don't think you're doing that, by the way, and I think that's one of the things that's most drawn me to the things that you're doing, was I was like, because I, I think I had this background skepticism that she, you know, everybody hates DOXA, right? Like, DOXA is, you know, opinion, belief, and, and nobody's like, hey, go opinion, except for the demagogues, right? Um, so, and nobody likes them, so whatever. So I was, you know, and, but, but everything I read of yours, you're not doing that, right? You're not just like, hey, I'm trying to save DOXA from its from its ill repute. It's kind of like, how does this thing work, right? And there is, and, and I read it in, in the sort of, what I would call like the disposition, the style of the analysis here, the, the moments, the number of moments where I think he's gonna make an argumentative move and he doesn't do it, right? That there is that kind of care, what I'm calling, I mean, it, whatever you call, but it's also a sort of vulnerability and it's a sort of willingness to like, okay, well, let's then ask the next question, right? Like, what does this indicate? And okay, so maybe it's this. And all the while, he's he's configuring a, what we would loosely call a theory of sense, meaning um, that the notion of sense is getting um, rearticulated, complicated, um, I wouldn't simply say developed. It's not simply like an expansive increase. It's actually just, like in the case of the schizophrenic chapter, for example, it's very, it's very clear to me that there's just a deviation of a line that goes on here. Like, if there has been development so far, it's not, it doesn't continue to expand. It just goes, oh, there's another, you know, offshoot over here. And so it's just a really interesting way of thinking about theory, right, or, or theorizing or the things that, you know, the three of us allegedly... I mean, I think that we can see a parallel between what he's doing in this chapter and in seeing the intersection between Artaud and Carroll and what you just described as sort of like the, the, the production of a theory of sense in this book called Logic of Sense. And mm -hmm. is that in both cases, he's avoiding the taxonomical, like general specific architecture that would that would yes. seek to, to, right. to find right. and relate identities, right? So in the, the local example of the chapter, of the That's series, right. you know, it's, not, it's, it's like not here's the identity of Carol, here's the identity of, of Artaud, and here is their difference. Or in the case of the book overall, here is my thesis on sense, and then each chapter is going to incrementally build part of it. And, and That's you know, right. in the, by the time you get to the end, you will see how all of this has been really just a way of showing what That's was right. at the beginning, right? But it's like yeah. each one of these is sort of like beginning? a thought experiment or a, a, a careful experimenting with or a line of flight that sort of shoots off in this direction and then spawn or expands or, or um, inspires another line of flight that's going to traverse, you know, the same, it's gonna intersect that same first line and it's going to potentially create things that look like paradoxes or contradictions or or redundancies or whatever else, and you could see that as sort of like him just not being systematic, um, or you could see it as like these are intersecting lines yeah. that now lend nuance to like rather than seeing the yeah. paradox as being like the not like as, as something that disrupts the body, it's just it's constantly adding layers of nuance, which is why you can read them in any order. Yeah, it's it's totally like it's a meta move. Like the whole book, if if he if what he's claiming about sense is that it is 
both produced in that kind of in the stating and the and the and the and the saying, right? But that also that it, it provides the condition for that production, then you know he, you have to keep you have to keep trying it and reenacting it and restaging it and redoing it. And so each of the like little series are just like a here's a, here's another here's another, and it's gonna you know it just right. continues to keep going. <laughs> this is where I remember when I wrote that uh, the animal. There's an animal piece that I wrote a few years ago that came out in PNR Darwin, or whatever. You wanted to write this But I, I, I use the analysis of like, that's right. So that all went right. Um, but but I, in terms of the meta move, I was just like, this is basically the dog winding itself around a stop sign, like the dog on the leash, right? That's just constantly like, you know, I mean, a dog on a leash that's sniffing around any sort of pole and it does not have that transcendent relation, right? It just walks around and around. All it's doing is sniffing similar spots but it just winds itself around a pole, and that's what our meta move is, right? Like, a, what, or what, rather, what we call a meta move is that we like to think of it as this sort of transcendent, sort of looking down move, but we're just doing it at a different level than the dog is, right? Like, we're just winding around, sniffing around the territory. And then we come back to the old the thing, pole, it's new. And then we'll get stuck. Right? Just like the dog. We're like, why is that dog smelling that same rock that's over right. and over again? Like, well, no, it's a different rock every time, man. Yeah. It's a different rock every time, right? Earth is a spiral, dude. <laughs> but it is, I mean, also one of the things that, that is cool in terms of the Arto is it really does give you a sense of the fucking, you know, the, the terror, right? Like the, the terror. So there's a way in which, and I know I am certainly guilty of this, there's a way in which we, can, we attempt to kind of romanticize becoming, right? And sort of say like, hey, man, Get on with the becoming train because this being thing is in identity and is so old fashioned. It's like, it's fucking, it's terrifying, right? It is, you know, our organism is not well equipped to to handle, uh, uh, you know, and our brains are not this sort of transformative dimension of, of, I mean, I'm calling it becoming. He doesn't use that terminology in here, but events, let's just say, you know, or sense. It's not, it's not nice or friendly. We could say so. Yeah. That's that the schizophrenic the is the body that lives the wisdom of Silanus. The you know what is the best for man that they never yeah. were born. What is the second best that they depart from this world as as quickly right. as possible? Like that launches for Nietzsche the entire Apollonian move, right? Yeah, Dionysian. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is. Yeah. I think. I think the impulse is also to romanticize the body too, right? And he, and here we have a sense that sure. you know the body is terrifying, <laughs> or all body all bodies are really terrifying. Yeah. And this was where I really got a sense that you know the body, just as much as as language and the unconscious and thought, like the body is definitely part of that, and um, definitely inseparable during this event. And that's terrifying. This is interesting because I found myself in, in writing the Topoi chapter for today. So for the recording, I'm, I'm writing a chapter on, on Topoi for an undergraduate rhetoric course. And I, I mean, as you read, Caddy, like one of the things that I'm really interested in is, or in, interested in trying to work through for students is to see how um, beliefs constitute communities and, um, and beliefs are sort of like, 
you know, like a community may be more or less sort of solidified based on the way that beliefs circulate and sort of make it up. And then as I'm trying, and you know, like the, one of the first moves I, I say is like, look, we can't just think about the uh, beliefs and in relationship to their sort of like, whether they're a fact or an opinion or whether they're just true or false, we have to think about them along this um, adoxic, endoxic, uh, um, continuum where like some beliefs are like solidly a part of what it makes a community a community and other ones are you know increasingly idiosyncratic from it and i say like but that's not enough there either because that presumes some kind of like default community that you are that that sort of like stands in the center and everything is either you know conforms with that or is um so then we have to think about all right there are multiple communities and beliefs circulate across all like this whole multiplicity of uh, um, communities and each of those communities themselves are are um uh you know more or less solidified and like the next step that i have to to get to is to talk about how those communities themselves are not solid and they're always performative are performatively that's and, right right and they're and they're overlapping but then i have to do it in such a way that we haven't looped all the way back around to the individualistic subjective it's like sub, um, uh, um, uh, fact opinion dichotomy which renders everybody you know just as an individual and sort of like totally nullifies the idea of a community i need to like introduce community and then destabilize it enough uh, to the point where we can't think of like where this isn't just about stereotyping or stereotyping becomes a particular you know circulation of, of, of beliefs um, but without coming back to the individual and, and it's, it's a maddening experience to, to um, well but you have to you have to always be I mean that's that's to me where the thinking here of you know, paradox is really, really useful because you have to go both directions at once, right? Like you have to go, in that case, it's not necessarily temporal, it's the mm -hmm. social and individual, right? But you have to go both directions. Like you can't simply locate it in the individual or in the sort of pre-existing social that there is no, right? And that, that's like the cheese example mm -hmm. that I use in in, in, in the book, the, the what is philosophy, right? Like, because it's the the going from the general to the particular the the deductive move and then also the simultaneous mm -hmm. you know inductive move that goes from the and that's so that sense of like you know i mean i would i like for for provocative reasons i would take the more hard line example and say communities do not pre-exist it is the constant act of projection of the pre-existence of a community so that, you know, but then you'd also have to say the same well, thing. Well, I think that's where religion. I want to end, right? I think that's where I want to get to, yeah, at, at, at the end. But what I, what I was thinking, I mean, talking about the madness there is that, like, actually thinking about the productive value of asserting the individual and the community and that more reductive sense at first because it introduces a kind of right. spacing into what is otherwise this amorphous like yeah. terror of being and then Beliefs. you know like all right here's our spacing right. wait a second you know the relationship of the terms that, that spacing creates they're super reductive so let's complicate them complicate them complicate them to the point where it's like man the value of the spacing has right. almost been lost because like uh, like that uh right. because though it never helped but I, this suddenly got me thinking like what happens when we start thinking about logic in general as just a particular meter or rhythm of spacing that is interjected into like 
being or becoming that now creates interpretable, manageable, livable worlds, but are also just totally arbitrary. That's yeah. that's that's Nietzsche, right? Like, I mean, that's the, you know, that that's how concepts are formed, right? Is this sort of rhythmic repetition of tropes in that sense, like called truth or called. But I've never thought of that in terms of, of you know? a spacing and before, and I kind of want to stick with that. That yeah, with that metaphor, horse like. You know, I mean, I've, you know, we've thought about it in terms of like, you know, calcifying concepts or so like through that repetition of like the repetition of the lie that now, you know, takes the thing that is just purely sensory and it calcifies it into something that is repeatable, but not really sensory anymore in the same originary sense. But like, but thinking about now spacing, whereas it's not, you don't start with the thing, you start with the organizing logic, which then instantly creates a whole bevy of things and already pre in relationship with each other. And I'm thinking about, I mean, now I'm thinking about Derrida and the importance of, of the space. Yeah. I, difference that uh, the becoming space of time yeah. and the becoming time of space. I mean, and I he know. uses the word spacing because I think what confused me is I thought you meant spacing simply in the spatial sense, but I mean, you, you actually also mean it's like the spacing in the of space. Sense. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. The spacing of space. Right, right, right. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, that's where I like, I, I get, that's fucking terrifying, right? Like, even to get close to that thinking just makes me shudder, right? It really, it really does. No, I, I feel like you were just celebrating that line of thinking, though. I mean, isn't, isn't, or like that kind of thinking is the one that's going to distribute openness rather than participate in like gap epistemology right rather than participate in like trying to fill or something closed you know yeah i mean that's the i mean i think that yeah. is the paradox right is that there's and the 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 i think the common response would be and this is i don't like this response but the common response would be finding a happy medium or finding a balance right between the sort of disorder of of space and the the order of the the logic's intervention into it and uh, I, I just don't like the thinking of the happy medium because it presumes yeah. the poles in advance. But, but that is, in fact, what we're doing in terms of survival is always negotiating the tensions between, if you want to call it the Dionysian and Apollonian or order disorder, order chaos, you know, like those, those sorts of things. And it, which levels, for instance, I mean, I think it's a perfectly valid way of understanding, as we all know, like when you ch really challenge a student's beliefs, that can be really traumatic for them. And uh, we don't experience this traumatic because those are beliefs that we gave up or that we don't find, you know, ourselves as committed to. But never, that just means that we're playing a, a different, we're playing the same game on a different field, right? Um, so, so it's always the, the sort of relative negotiation of the, I mean, that's where if you start talking about balancing in the relative negotiation of the balance, then it becomes a much more interesting diagram, right? It's not just a question of, we're trying to find the happy medium between these extremes. It's like everyone's extremes are different and everyone's happy medium is different. And now, now you've got this sort of oscillating, frankly, you would have the series, it would look a lot like the diagram that Nathaniel made, you know, several <laughs> years ago of like, you have this oscillation among the, among the various series as a constant negotiation, even though it would be between people, you know, in this regard or between thoughts in this regard, rather than between language and things or something like that.
this is, I think, one of the things that why capital, why the Thousand Plateaus book appeals to me so much more than the Anti-Oedipus book, and that's the reverse for most Eleusians. Like most Eleusians, really like Anti-Oedipus, and you know, capital uh, Thousand Plateaus is kind of the the afterthought book. But th- I think the difference there is th- Thousand Plateaus. They're much more sympathetic to not deterritorializing. Right, they're just like you know that whole deterritorializing thing. The, all those lines of flight, right? Those are fucking, those are ter- they really are terrifying. And that there's much more of a sympathy for the molar or the you know whatever the terms may be, or even the trees in terms of. I mean, yes, of course they're sort of go rhizome guys, but at the same time, it's like, but you know, becoming destratified isn't the worst thing that can happen to you, actually. Right, and and that's where you know, like becoming destratified, like or, or deterritorialization is fucking death. In right? pure like, form. I mean, that's what it is, and it's it's the end of, yeah, and it's it's an end of thinking. It's it's not you know so, so having finding those ways of of inhabiting a kind of livable space is the is the the quote unquote pro- I mean, it's a different version of ethics, right? Like not how do you live the good life, yeah. but how do you fucking live? Right? <laughs> like, well, another way of saying that is that like for all of the, the, the drive toward experimentation and creativity, which is sort of like the, the function of life for, for Deleuze, right? That happens in this livable space from yeah. like here to here. And right. you know, like in the, like in the direction right. of deterritorialization, like infinitely it's death. And in the direction of, of yeah. stratification yeah. And, and the molar, like for inf- like infinitely, it's death. Complete calcification or complete territorialization, yeah. complete deterritorialization. Yeah. And it's complete like, like the, the whole move to experiment is sort of like go from this tiny <laughs> little space to like here. <laughs> Create that as your territory. Deterritorialize and ter- uh, territorialize within that yeah. tiny little space. Which is like far beyond most of our capacities to like that's that's life project for for most of us. Well, and it's it's life's project, right? More more broadly, right? So it's like, hey, I mean, you can look at it that way into the evolutionary sense. It's like, hey, we need organisms in order to experiment experiment with the overcoming of organisms. How yeah. else? How else do you do it? Right. Like, you know, that you you're going to assume form content and all of these. sorts. Of, I mean, that, that's I, I feel like intellectually, that's sort of where we are kind of generationally is that there are all these sort of metaphysical concepts that we got from the Greeks from you know, 2000 plus years ago. And it doesn't take any more. It doesn't take much labor to realize that, oh, man, woman, those are pretty coarse grain concepts. Right. Like nature, culture, like they're just not very dextrous they just don't have the suppleness that's necessary and which is why you have non-binary emerging as a category and you have all these other kinds of things this is like because the categories just don't work the concepts that are organizing ways of thinking species to me is a big one Mm -hmm. right like that that sort of that sort of thinking um it just doesn't they just don't work really well anymore and yet you know and this is to me the Nietzschean call is like overcoming the human means overcoming the conceptual organization. So we're now at a point where we're like, we're having to mess with the concepts because, not because we're desiring to be experimental thinkers, but because they just don't work anymore. They just do not have the coherence that we have for a long time believed that they had and that things are way more, uh, and it does seem this way, things are just way more amorphous and inadequately understood. It's not... It doesn't even take a fucking brilliant rhetorician to read any kind of analysis and be like, well, anything 
you know, about contemporary politics or about philosophy. It doesn't matter what it's about. And just be like, well, the kind of terrain in which uh, they're attempting to understand it well, is another way of saying that is that like those categories, yeah. like take the man woman category as as like a topoi for organizing a livable life. And you could say like, look, for a few thousand years, the like that created livable a lot of like livable life for people, right? Totally. That that you know, yeah. in absence of those categories, would have been you know. Like far more difficult to manage, and we could say perhaps in some ways because of the yep. success of the of that co- admittedly coarse um, uh, 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 category or differentiation, you know, like we're at a point now where that category that that categorical differentiation actually causes more pain and suffering than it does create a livable right. life, That's and right. like so right well people start believing yeah, it, but even. Go ahead, Kat. Continue. No, no, continue. I was going to say, like, I mean, you know, like, like the man-woman category, especially along this hierarchical order, like, creates a certain kind of generational stability that provides roles for people to be able to sort of create, like, you know, and and that, and and it's always created suffering, right? It's always created suffering, particularly for, like, like the subordinated term, right? But it's also, at the same time, created a livable life. And because of the success... Of of that yep. that that binary, it's now we're in a position where it's no longer nearly as essential. It's no longer nearly as important. And in fact, it does way more harm than it, it creates way more suffering than it does. Right. We don't need it anymore to create this livable space anymore. And we, you know, I think that's another way of saying what you're saying. And it's and it's all and it's all yeah. the categories. Just taking an example. All of right? the. I mean, yeah. now I'm back to my Peter. Right now, but, but back to my Peter Watts. Conversation. The blind sight guy. So it was one of those. Of, I was like, "Look, yeah, the blind sight guy." And we were having this thing about um, in in response to my virus piece, and he's like, "And one of the targets there is the the notion of mutation, because when we and this is geneticists when they talk about DNA and RNA replication, right? They always, if it doesn't replicate exactly, it's understood why? as an error." And I'm like, "Why?" Right, like I mean, so it, get, given that DNA regularly does not replicate, <laughs> you know, I, identically, how is it that we can come to understand it as an error? Well, it's an error from the point of view of species, right? From the perspective of a concept, the, the Linnaean concept that was invented 600 years ago, of, you know, species, that taxonomy, and you just realize the extent to which that taxonomy has just infiltrated the fundamental ways that we think. 600 right? like, years. I mean, fundamentally. Go you back know, to Plato. Of course, you're everyone about the primacy of the model to the copy, right? I mean, that's all you need to understand, that's right. you know, Co- model why, copy. Right. why genetic reproduction gets moralized, right? It's either a faithful or an unfaithful copy. Yeah, and, and can't, and, yeah. and can't but, meaning there's no, it's yeah. not like I've got an alternate vocabulary where I can say, okay, let's not call this an error, let's call it a bleh, you know, I mean, there, there isn't just, there aren't alternate categories for thinking. I mean, this is, this is the Derrida problem, right? You can't step out of the language of metaphysics in order to undo the language of metaphysics. And so you are in this necessarily impossible situation of, I don't want to simply replicate, I don't simply want to reproduce those concepts, but I also can't, you know, critique them from outside of them and that every critique reproduces them at the same time. So how do you, and this is where, you know, Deleuze talks about stuttering, right? That's the the later terminology is making language itself 
uh, stutter, which I think is a great, to me, that's a great way. Like, how do you make the concepts themselves stutter or the concepts themselves? In other words, they both work and don't work at the same time. And that that's the strategy. That, this is what appeals to me about all this line of thinking is that it's, it's a tactical decision. When faced with our concepts are inadequate anymore, okay, so let's come up with another concept, non-binary. All right, but non-binary look, that's not going to fucking do it, right? right? Like, so, You're either binary yeah, or non-binary. Is, right? like, so <laughs> binary or non-binary, right? So, yeah, and, and, and it's not going to be long, yeah. right, politically before that becomes a problem. I mean, it's just you don't have to know too much history to say every progressive category has quickly become uh, uh, you know, an oppressive category, right? Like it just—that's how is, it works, you know. Oh, uh, so, no, this is just go really. Ahead, go, go ahead. This is really helping me understand what Deleuze was doing by introducing Husserl's Urdoxa, Urdoxa, the Urdoxa, right? The Husserl Because Urdoxa. I was kind yeah, of—I yeah, yeah. I think I was texting Nathaniel like, okay, so if we have this continuum of Doxa from you know, like the really idiosyncratic to like the kind of wide, the more widely accepted or what have you. Um, what, what's, what's the relationship between, uh, beliefs, uh, the, the doxa that are beliefs and this er doxa. And I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about concepts as things that people had to believe in as these kind of transcendental independent principles for which right. you have to have in order to fucking think or do or whatever. Right. But it's totally the case right. that, that, right. that we have them and that they don't work. And then we try again and we try to get another set of Erdoxa. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yep. And, and I and I think that's his beef with Husserl, right? Is that he Husserl's not actually able to play that game, right? That that Husserl and I th- I would argue that anyone who's trying to get it right is not trying to play is, is not really playing the game. Which is I mean he he articulates it as what he says like Husserl can't get yeah. away from the common sense part, right? Like it's just it's just not it's not available to him. Um, and, and that's what I mean is when I say like the ones who are trying to get it right, there must be a different dispositional orientation towards the kind of questioning where it's like Deleuze isn't trying to get it right, right? That's not the telos. It's not the goal. It's not the hope. It's not the aspiration. You know, it's to produce something else and put it into play, um, which of course isn't right. You know, I mean, of course it's, it's not true or false, but like getting away from the problem of that true fall, you know, the, 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 the rule of the true false, you know, is, is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Like it's not, it, it's, well, it's, it's not impossible. Because you know? I mean, the, the, the allegiance to the right, right. I mean, they typically go, yeah, I'm going to figure out what this thing, is. I'm going to think through this problem. How do you how do you begin that project from saying and I want to get it right because as soon as you're like hey I want to like deal with something metaphysical or ontological and then you say and I'm going to get it right then you've automatically created a more a prior more transcendent like you know like yeah, space right. yeah. from which to measure the rightness of the thing but if you are you know but if you have no idea what that criteria is right then you are sort of like just through a kind of endoxic, orthodoxic, erdoxic interjection, sort of presuming or assuming the metric by which you're going to judge the, the correctness of the thing that you're, you're diagnosing. It makes me think about how performative, you know, I mean, 
measurement is just like the we, we take measurement as such a natural thing and we forget about the performative institutionalized um uh like uh, uh sure. inter interjection of measurement into life like think about like i mean isn't there like a uh like a, a stick in paris that's you know the literally the measuring stick the, yeah, the, the someone cut off someone's foot. foot. foot yeah. No, it's like a, it's like the meters. The, it's the, it's, this it is the, the imperial wall. system, the metric system. There's like, was it the shoulder? It was whatever. Yeah. It's one of the kings back in the night in the 18th century. Well, that, that was, was in England, and that's the imperial the, system uh, where it's like, all right, all of these yarn oh, okay. like sellers are cheating each other by you know like what's a yard or whatever. So <laughs> this is a yard from here to here. That's a yard, right? And, you know, they took the measurement and that became the official thing. But, you know, later with the metric system, like, I mean, there's, there's like, you know, it, it's far less attached to anatomy and like, you know, you know, like an acre was the right. amount, you know, was it an acre or a hundred? It's like how much you could plow in a day, which obviously meant like if it was this, you know, if it was this kind of terrain, then, you know, you could plow way more. But if it was rocky terrain, you can't plow all that much. Which actually had some, right. you know, practical like considerations right. because an acre is not an acre, isn't an acre. But um, it's actually linked to like what you use the thing for. But with the introduction of the metric system, <laughs> this is why I've actually found the imperial system to be so much more interesting because the imperial system is so interwoven with, you know, human life and so its incongruities are sort of like, you know, how much can I plow? How long is my foot? What is, you know, what's the problem with the tailors trying to rip each other off? With the metric system, it's the introduction of this transcendent sort of like, you know, we're going to come up with an admittedly arbitrary um, uh, set of, of rules, but like we're going to treat them as if they're natural. And, and like this is just. You need to you need to write this. You need to write this essay. And the title of it is, <laughs> is man the measure of all things? <laughs> you got to get some yeah, protagonists in there, man. <laughs> But you're, but you're right. I mean, and it is. I mean, just in terms of the development of something like something yeah. as simple as measuring. I mean, I when I when you when you're telling the story, when we're thinking about the king, I'm like, that is the Nietzschean move, right? It's just like, and and I feel this way all the time. Not at the level, not at that level, but I, I also am just like, okay, here's how we're going to decide what a yard is. It's this. Yeah. End of conversation. Since it owns its arbitrariness, right? right? Like, it's like so, this is to solve a problem, and we need right, something. That's right. Right. This is it. Yeah. We need something, right? Here it is, and this is, and so, and, and that's the legislative act. That's you know, we've talked about this before, but all the times the analytic philosophers and the continental folks who read Nietzsche and they're like, "How does he ground his truth claims?" I'm like, "How does he ground his truth claims? <laughs> he makes them. That's how it works, right? Like he says, and here's what's true, right? That's how you ground truth claims, right? Like." So that, that sort of, you know, the moral calculus that yeah. the analytic folks do every time is yeah. like, what is the epistemological basis? And you're like, but what world are you living in? Like, here's what makes it true. But I that's say, that, like, that, that, <laughs> back to the correctness thing. It's always the, the, the presumption that there is the epistemological or ontological that's outside right. that you can just simply appeal to to find that's its right. correctness without realizing that both of those things, whether you're trying to go above or below, are also fabrications. But... Well, so the me that, yeah. that's the thing about the meter, yeah. right? The meter isn't a given, right? And, and I mean, American history is a really good example of that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember in the 70s when we actively, yeah. actively tried. <laughs> like there was during the Carter administration, there was a concerted effort 
to switch to the metric system, and it completely yeah. fucking failed, right? Like, because people are like, yeah, I don't really need it. It doesn't well, matter for my data. <laughs> you're in the Brits. Okay. Right, exactly. It, it, it was, but I mean, whatever. It's like, but what that, what the sort of failure of the conversion shows you is that the yeah. metric is just another arbitrary, and the problem, the problem was, and this is the Sir problem, the metric couldn't solve anything that the other one couldn't solve for yeah. most people in their day-to-day -day lives. Right, so it's like I see no benefit to this. I see no added value. So why change this this thing that I have for my life? Well, Canada is an interesting case well. study in that because you know because they're they're like hip and progressive. They did go with the metric system, but because they're not in Europe and they deal with the U.S., they didn't totally go to the metric system, right? So we have kilometers <laughs> yeah, right, and, right. Uh, and 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 um, uh, kilos and 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 degrees of Celsius. But we also have pounds for some things. And we yeah. have, you know, like, and inches for others. Yeah. And it depends on, like, what are, are you in the medical profession or are you a butcher? Or are you, like, driving a car or are you a runner? So is, it, is, that, yeah. is that it? Is it? Is that how it is? This, this it's profession by profession. So, like, if you are, uh, you know, like, in medicine. Yeah, it's but even be there, in, they're not totally uh, uniform. Right, because uh -huh. it has a whole lot to do with like, are we, you know, were okay. these standards created by American organizations or by European organizations? So like Canada is this weird, like it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and in some places yeah, okay. it's, it's both. Um, and it, like I, it, it is, it is very odd. If I if I do write this, I think it's got to be for the New Yorker, and I think it's called uh, something to the effect of like. I'm a liberal, and I think that the imperial measurement system is better than the metric system. <laughs> Confess, right? <laughs> right. I know I'm supposed to think as like the, the like the lefty liberal person. I'm supposed to think this, but I right, think there's something wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be storming oh, no. the Capitol any fucking day now. I can see it in well, I'm, I'm, you'll notice me by my sign. It's a you know. Like keep a foot a foot or make a foot a foot again, <laughs> and there's a, a picture of a big foot on it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he calls it the impassibility of sense and right. the, the genetic quality, like the simultaneous, like it's not neutrality and uh, generativity, right? Like the the um, the two causes in this case being right. Or the, the the double causality being its relation, and I really like this, and I haven't really thought through this. So if one of you guys can help me with this, I would appreciate it. But like, um, he's at pains to say, the sense is an effect. It is an effect. It is not a cause, right? It is an effect, and and I'm partly curious why he wants to push that so hard. Like I don't understand the principle of logic that's at stake in that insistence, because obviously what he's doing here is he's saying it's both, right? Which is to say, it's an effect in relationship to bodies and propositions, um, but it's a cause in relationship -cause. to other events, right? Other senses, yeah. Qua right? Quasi, qu quasi cause, right? So it's, again, you know, and I get that, I get the dual, I mean, what he's trying to do there, but I, I just was like, Especially earlier in the book, when he said, "Like it's an effect," you know, the senses, uh, events are always effects; they're never causes. Um, I don't really understand what exactly is at stake there in 
in not look. I mean, I get that you want to distinguish it from states of affairs, right, and, and things and identities, and maybe that's it's that simple, is that if you call it an effect and you call it derivative and you call it secondary, then you can never be accused of what Derrida gets accused of with difference, right, that it's this generative principle of, of all things, right, so that he's like, no, 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 it is not the generative principle of anything <laughs> at all. Ever, except kinda. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but mm. also, by the way, this is a, maybe this is an aside that would be a different way. Like, so I I went back and read the Ubersinen uh, Bedeutung. Um, Did you guys know of this essay? It's like apparently a really, really, really important essay by uh, what's one of the an early analytic guys, late nineteenth century. Um, what's the what's the English translation? Ubersin in Bedeutung. I don't even know. Uber I think sense. it's just actually trans. It's mm-hmm. not the title doesn't get translated. Yeah, it's on on yeah. sense on meaning and sense. And 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 I was reading it for my style stuff, right? I wasn't reading it in relationship to this. But you know, sin is translated as sense, and Bedeutung is translated yeah. as meaning. In German, they both mean meaning. Right, like that's what people mean by you know you could use either word for meaning, and the distinction that he's after here, and it's it's a really it's a it's a kind of esoteric logical distinction, and what I'm about to say is not correct, meaning it's not an accurate reflection of this, uh, uh, of this thing. But I, I got the I, I got the impression Frega. that Deleuze's use of sense, yeah, yeah Frega. Right, it's Frege. So this is old. What that's that's like late nineteenth century, right, or early twenty. It's old. Let's just say it's old. Aha! See, I didn't make that shit up. I like it when I happen to not make stuff up. Uh, <laughs> um, but I really, I was like, I actually think, unmentioned, that's what he's writing about, right? He's the the whole terminology of sense is coming from the this Fregian. Yeah. <laughs> This, this analytic distinction between meaning, and in that case, again, like, sense means all the problems with everything <laughs> I'm about to say, right? Like, everything, right? Sense means something more like mm-hmm. connotation as opposed to denotation. I mean, that's, now again, those are, that's not accurate. And I know that that's not accurate because it has something to do with um, almost like a set theory understanding, which is the coverage of all things versus the specificity of one thing. But, but that was, that's sort of my provisional takeaway. And I was also looking for the origin of the distinction between connotation and denotation because I'm trying, like one of my arguments is it's an absolutely bullshit distinction. Like it's an like it's a completely anymore. Maybe it was functional at one time, but that whole difference between denotation and connotation is one See, that I don't buy. We just need to let go of. But for reasons <laughs> that I think actually matter to my you response know. here is that I mean, from a transcendent perspective, okay. I do buy that totally. Right? Like, there's no such thing as denotation. Everything is connotation. But in the same way, there's there's no such thing as orthodox. There's only doxa and and and, and, and right. Um, Except for the fact that, like, there are, you know, authoritative, performative, um, um, like, we could say that there are certain kinds of, like, um, authoritative performances that assert orthodox and denotation. So think about, like... You know the, um, the 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 a technical definition for like the schematic of a rocket or sure. the, 
or like the technical definition right. of transubstantiation an orthodox view of like the Eucharist or something like that. And so like, while I would say at the level of like some kind of transcendent meaning, that's totally bullshit. But in terms of like the force and intensity that those, that link those terms to those authorizing bodies and then link other certain like bodies that we might say are part of those communities to them and sort of like can now create the lay and the priestly classes of those worlds. I say that absolutely does work, but you sure. have to really think, yeah. rethink what you mean by denotation. Well, but you have, I mean, to me, you have to say, and you have to run this logic out. The first step's pretty easy. All denotation is provisional mm -hmm. and, and, and singular, meaning that I'm saying, mm -hmm. for the purposes of this essay, I'm going to define blank as blank, right? Like, so, but, okay, so that's easy enough to understand when it's in, you know, your, the, the mechanical engineering essay or whatever else. But, but then you say, you know, the same is true when the ruler says, for the purposes of whatever, my arm is going to be the yard. And, and so the, the provisionality of it can be global, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be just this essay. It can be like, for the purposes of living, we're going to call these men and these women, right? Um, so, so the provisionality can have a really big, I mean, the provision could be life itself, right? It doesn't have to simply be, you know, my little, my little local thing. But when, when you do that, I think that once you install the notion of the provisionality of definition, you eliminate the transcendent function yep. to me, right? Like, I mean, th that's the purpose of calling it that. So when, once you eliminate the transcendent function, it doesn't matter how big the definition mm -hmm. is, right? Whether it's the OED or whether it's my paper, it's, you, have, you have gotten rid of the distinction between denotation and, and connotation then. Because yeah. you've introduced I mean, you could, Let's add to your cheese example because I actually like to use... Oh, it's Deleuze. It's not mine. It's Deleuze. Oh, from what is philosophy? I, I, can't take, um, I can't take credit for it. When I, when I teach That's students right. yeah. connotation and denotation, I, I usually, sometimes it's pizza or, but like, let's say you take cheese, let's take Parmesan, right? And talk about the connotations of Parmesan yeah. Yeah. versus the denotation of Parmesan. And now, as soon as you talk about the denotation right. of Parmesan, you have to ask yourself, what's denotating it? Like, is it... Like, I mean, is it this or that dictionary or is it, I mean, I like to use old world foods because they have, that's right. know, there are, there are organ or there are legislating, not legislating, authorizing bodies that like define Parmesan must be grown right. or must be made in, in, in this Reggiano region with this, this, yeah, this procedure with these ingredients that has to have this percentage of milk fat to whatever else. And then you get the stamp, right? But then we obviously right. also... Yeah, like, like Bordeaux, yeah, like, Bordeaux, like Appalachian, whatever, right? So like all of these things, but the danger is to think that because those, you know, often we say like, well, it's the official or it's the technical thing, which we take as a transcendent function. That's the real one and everything is a derivation of it. It's like, no, it is, it, it is one designation among others. And it comes with a particular level of like, precision and it's tied up with sort of like you know you can be sued for selling bordeaux that's not you know from bordeaux but that doesn't make it more or less transcendent right so that's it so that becomes the inter so that's the interesting question because it's almost like saying there is a transcendent there's a transcendence like function or quality that's added to other things right like that's added to so you know somebody says like this is Bordeaux because it's from this region or this is what makes it Bordeaux. And, you know, at the same time that you, you know, you say that and you say it's provisional, it's local, it's whatever, even if that locale is really large, at the same time it seems like it, it takes on this other 
sort of larger transcendence. It's, it's almost like mm-hmm. it's a side effect, you know, or its own kind of paradox in the very opposite way that Deleuze is using paradox, which is to say it's both transcendent and provisional, right? Like it, it becomes this thing that is, it, it's, a, it's a, like an added quality. So for instance, the question would be, could you make a provisional statement that didn't have a transcendent function? that did not, like that sort of prevented itself from rising above the circumstances of its inscription, however big they may be, right? They can be a nation, right? Like the, the nation will use this, right? Can you, can you, could you remove this, if I'm calling it a transcendent quality or the transcendent, the function of transcendence rather than, because the function of transcendence seems to me that like kind of built in to every well, provisional... Then- you know, you just say for the purposes of these paper of this paper, I will call this that. None of us argue about it because it's a paper, but it is making a transcendent yeah. claim. Yeah, about I mean, the it paper, is creating a vertical least, relationship right? between the for the terms of this paper, it's setting right. out its domain that it is going to transcend above. Right. Right. I. Right. Which is why I always uh, it's the thing that appeals to me so much about Deleuze in terms of like cat, uh, terms like bodies without organs and stuff like that, where it, it just fucking changes. In the different articulations yeah. of bodies without organs in Deleuze's work, the, the sense of it, the meaning of it in its most boring way yeah. possible changes. And w- without, without him saying, I'm use- I am now using bodies yeah. without organs in a different <laughs> way than I used bodies without organs this, in the last chapter. I, I, this is totally wrong. speculation, like a historical speculation, but I feel like there, you know, there was an event in the history of Plato and Europe you know, would anyone recognize it as an event? But you know, like Plato in medieval Europe had like I feel like there was some kind of conflation with the real and the officious, and the sort of like the whole divine um, uh, right to rule thing, where like the like s- states, whether it was king or or pope or whatever it was, were in, are incarnations or representations of the of, of the divine order, right? Yeah, and then so like, you know, think about just like in Carmen Parlance where where we say like, you know, the official document is the real document. That's the real McCoy, it's the real whatever. And, you know, it obviously has this transcendent relationship, but to me it's just like there's a sort of a historical conflation between, you know, like an official designating body, which we Deleuze would teach us, we have to think about it on a flat plane, but we, but it it, it has gained a transcendent style force to it yes right yeah actually this is (laughs) i'm going to use this later because i don't know about you all as as people who you know try to write theory or pretend to write theory but like i don't know if you get pushback for a lack of signposting but next time i get next time i get pushback for a lack of signposting i'm going to be like i'm just avoiding transcendence (laughs) 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 i'm trying to create a transcendent free environment i would appreciate it if you respect my boundaries (laughs) (laughs) no transcendence is good transcendence but i mean the other part is that you the other part is that I mean the other part of it is that that's where I'm thinking like I mean my initial thought when I was saying that was it, would there be some way to extract the quality of transcendence from the legislative act right which is to say we're going to call this this but we we're going to always recognize that that's just what we're doing for provisional purposes right um, and, and 
like, could you call, could, could you do that? And then as I think about it, I'm like, no, you can't extract that because even the claim that we're only going to do this itself mm-hmm. becomes a transcendent, right? Like, in other words, we're only going to use this in this, in these particular circumstances. Well, the, the designation of the particular circumstances, the provisional then becomes is still the a transcendent move yeah. that one must recognize. Yeah. Right, provisional is still transcendent. And so at every step you take, even the sort of local legislation instantly has a transcendent function. But this goes back to the vulnerability of like careful diagnostic and the whole phenomenon of Deleuze not renaming or re-signposting, you know, bodies without organs. Is that like I mean I think that that transcendent function right. can go away or become not important when when you you allow the the terrain that it that it safeguards to be permeable and vulnerable and open to like to yeah. affectable shall we say right so even like so like you could never say like no so no, gonna, no 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 I was yeah. only being provisional because now you're trying to safeguard you know even the very right. local context in which you've created that denotated thing it always has to be the I welcome it. Come on in and see, you know, why my provisional thing is going to, I know it's going to change, but I, and I can't protect it. But now we've introduced layers of meaning and. It really always does boil down to style, doesn't it? (laughs) 